If you'll join me, we will now read from 1 John. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. This is page 1021 in our Pew Bibles. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Man, there's fewer head nods today. How, how's everyone doing with this? Yeah? Actually, there's more. That's awesome. That's great. Again, this is not a guilt trip. If you have not been reading, just skip the first two rows and start on the third brand new and read along with us. Um, yeah, that's there for you. It's all love. It's all love. First John, um, quite convicting for me personally, uh, studying through this letter and reading through this as well. If you're interested to know what John's purpose was in writing this letter, you can find that purpose in First John chapter 5, verse 13. It reads this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John's purpose was that we would have this assurance of, as a believer, because there were people making all kinds of claims about God that were false claims, and anyone can make a claim about God, but how do we know that that claim is true? Because people can say whatever they want to say, but we, we all know that just because someone says it doesn't mean that it is true. So how can we be assured of our knowledge of God, about God. And this assurance of our knowledge of God is, is really, really important because we're dealing with life and death matters. We're dealing with living in everlasting light or living in everlasting darkness, which, which affects our well-being physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, forever. And what John dealt with back in his day isn't all that different from what we deal with today. John was dealing with this group called the Gnostics. They were heretics who kind of compartmentalized who God is, that God could be known simply from an intellectual standpoint using our logic and using our reasoning, and or that God could just be simply known from an emotional standpoint through mystical practices. And so a person could know God through this logic or through these spiritual practices that would, would get them to feel something emotionally, which, which are parts of how we do connect with God, but it's not complete. Because what does that life then produce? If you intellectually know what is required of you and you don't do it, then what do you really know and what benefit is that? All of us know that smoking is uh, not healthy for us, but then there are a number who do it anyway. So then what good is that knowledge? Or emotionally. 
You know being in a particular relationship is damaging to you emotionally, but you still choose to stay in that relationship rather than changing or doing something to make that better. And this is what the heretics were kind of like. They had this intellectual awareness, they had these emotional experiences, but they lacked these actions of obedience that God desires from us. And they thought that they could know God without living the life that showed that they were loyal to God. And much like our day when people claim to know God, but then they live however they want to live. And there are some who claim to be Christians who know the truth, but they don't live this life that is changed by that truth, that is changed by God, and they are much like demons who all have theological knowledge that is probably better than any of us here, And they have all the intellectual experiences. They have all the emotional intelligence about God that anyone could ever want. They're just not loyal. They're just not obedient to God. And what they know hasn't really changed them. What John does in our text today is he, he breaks down how we know we are truly disciples of Jesus Christ. We'll take a look at verse 3 here. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. This is a obedience test. This is a way we come to know God. And the way that we do come to truly know God is by revelation. It's not by a speculation, education, or even an investigation. It's that God reveals himself to us. Take a look at John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Through revelation... We have come to know God, and we know that this revelation is true in our life if we keep his commandments. Then John flips verse 3 around in verse 4, and he says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The first indicator in knowing that we know God is in our obedience to God, is that we keep his commandments. You know you really know God if you obey. If you obey. Not everyone who knows God, no matter how much they claim to know God, really do. Because if you don't keep his commandments, you don't know God. In fact, you're lying about it. And in the disobedience is the proof that the truth is not in you. There is an obedient way to live where we abide in God through his commandments to know that we are truly knowing God. And we can tell when there's an absence of that knowledge of God, not because there's an absence of talking about God or or claiming to know God, but the absence is made obvious when there's an absence of our obedience to God. Take a look at Hosea chapter 4, starting in verse 1 here. Prophet Hosea writes, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. 
See, the Israelites talked about God a lot. And they claimed to know God a lot. But did they really know God? See, they weren't obedient to his commandments as evidenced by how they lived. And this is unfortunately how many lives are lived today. There isn't an absence from people talking about God. There, has, there have been a series of um, award shows lately, whether they're from celebrities or athletes or whatever about it, and you'll notice that a lot of times when um, somebody comes up on stage to accept the award, one of the first things out of the mouth is, thank God. First of all, like thank God, especially NFL players. I don't know why that is, but it's, it, that's the case. You know, they're going, oh, just thank God. Some probably do really know God. I'm not saying that they don't, but there's... I would think a good number of them that don't because they're, the way that they live their life or conduct their life is very well known and that obedience is not there. And so that doesn't match up to what they're saying. And so talking about how they know God with their mouths but then showing through their life something totally different. And it's obvious that there's an absence of God in our society and our culture based on this lack of obedience and now for us to kind of put the mirror up and ask us that question personally, how are we doing with this? Because you and I can say all these different things, but are we obeying? We can say that the world around us doesn't know God based on the evidence, but how about you? It's only by our obedience to God that we can claim to know God. And it's delusional to confess and say one thing, but then to live in complete opposition to the confession. And that person is known as a liar. John is known to be the apostle of love. And he wrote this letter out of love. He, he didn't make this up on his own. You take a look at the Gospel of John and he wrote in John 14, where he wrote down Jesus' own words. In John chapter 14, verse 15, these are Jesus' words. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then you skip down a few verses to verse 21, and Jesus says this. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him, skip down to verse 23 in John chapter 14. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to know him and make our home with him. The foundation of our relationship with God is the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross, who three days later raised from the grave in his resurrection, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and then you look back a couple of verses um, in 1 John Chapter 2, verse 2, look back to there, and it reads, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And then following this work of everlasting salvation by Jesus Christ, the evidence that we have this salvation from Christ is proven by our obedience in verses 3 and 4 of 1 John chapter 2. There are symptoms that show we are sick. And there are also signs that show that we are healthy. This is what disobedience and obedience 
to God's commandments are. They, they are indicators of our spiritual health. And for those of us who are in Christ, when there is disobedience, there's a, a discomfort. There's a pain. There, there's a, a hurt. Just like when you're sick, you, you have a fever, you cough, you have a runny nose, your, your body aches. And so then we work on getting better. Right? We, we do things to help us get better. We rest more. We, we kind of isolate ourselves so that we can spend time in just getting better. When we're sick in sin, we need to work to get better. We desire to work toward obedience. We make some changes. And that obedience, it corresponds with, with love. The proof of love is a loyal obedience. Now, John is not saying that, you know, you won't ever slip up. We're not talking about perfection or being sinless. John is directing us toward the condition of our heart. What is our heart's disposition toward God? Do we desire the obedience to God? Do we desire to keep our fellowship, our communion with God in a good, healthy place? Our relationship with God is not just this intellectual thing. It's not just this emotional thing. It's not just what we think or feel about the relationship with God. What are we doing about it? And where is our heart in all of it? Are we obedient? John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now back to 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it reads, But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he, Jesus, walked. Believing and belonging to Jesus is behaving like Jesus. We need to walk like Jesus. How do we know we are in Christ? Is it that sinner's prayer that we say, like, hey, just repeat after me and say this prayer, which I'm still trying to figure out where in the Bible it is. Like, I still can't find it. I've been looking. I, I've been looking for this prayer that we all kind of direct people to just, just follow after me, repeat these words after me. Like, where is it? Is it church attendance? Like you're just here? Is this some spiritual discipline or, or spiritual involvement? It's just verse 3. It's verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That's how we know. That, that's it. The word of God tells us how we know God. We, we live an obedient life that lives according to God's commands that we obey. The talk is cheap. We have to talk and walk like Jesus. And we're not self-reliant in it. We need God to do this work in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God has made us a new creation. And as a new creation, it is more than what we just say. It is also how we conduct our life. It is also the posture of our heart. Back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. 
At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. John is giving us some uh, tough love. And even with these very stern and very direct words, there's still this warmth in John's letter to us. And you notice this when he addresses us as his beloved, beloved. And you get this tone of love as you continue to read through this letter. And he's, he's telling us that God is the same. God is love. As he always has been, whether in the old commandment or today, you, you take a look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It reads, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There, there's no, nothing new with love and God. And John reminds his readers in 1 John chapter 2, verse 24, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 2 John chapter 1, verse 6, And this is love that we walk according, according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So, so it's nothing new. There, there's nothing new that he's writing. That God is love, and from the beginning we've learned about this message of love. John is not adding anything new to this message of love from these old commandments from the beginning. What he's doing is expounding on these old commandments by looking at Jesus. Looking at how Jesus told these old commandments, but now is embodying them. It's not that these commandments of love are, are new, they're old, but they have been embodied by Christ. The truth of these commandments of love are, are seen in Christ, Jesus Christ, a friend to sinners. In Orthodox Judaism, they would look at sinners to whom God would destroy. And in that destruction, there would be joy about it. Jesus doesn't look at people like this. This is Jesus' heart. Luke chapter 15, verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be no more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. See, he's embodying the love. The love commandment hasn't changed. It's just he's embodying this. And you see why Jesus had so many enemies amongst Orthodox Judaism, namely Pharisees. And you see why stories like the prodigal son were kind of like confusing to them. Or whenever he made the tax collector the hero of the story, why it was kind of like jarring to them. Or when the Samaritan is the protagonist and it's not the priest and it's not the Levite, how it's just so like confusing. Like what? Take a look at that story. Luke chapter 10, starting verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. 
He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. People like tax collectors, like Samaritans in the story, were just looked upon as people outside the love of God, accursed people, people who they would have joy about if they would just be destroyed. Not so with Jesus. That the repentance that we exercise opens this floodgate of love from God. That we are to extend genuine love to others, even those who don't love us, even to those who seem so different from us. Now back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no, dark, there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Hatred is dark, and it blinds us. Living in the light allows us to see Living in the light and love, they, they go hand in hand, and, and love helps us to think straight, to, to act accordingly. First John chapter 4, verse 20, if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Hatred causes confusion, where we just simply can't see Issues very clearly, when, when we're filled with hate, we, we get lost in darkness. And there are some people who claim to walk in the light when in reality they're filled with, with hate. And that talk is cheap. How is one living in the light? How is one loving? Notice that John is talking about light and darkness. He's talking about love and hate. There really isn't some sort of in-between these things. It's just love and hate. And yet the way love is defined is often defined incorrectly. Sometimes people define love as you have to agree. That we can't have different perspectives or opinions. But this isn't true, is it? That's not a true statement. Christian love doesn't mean you have to agree. It doesn't mean that you can't disagree. We have disagreements. They can even be very heated disagreements. The thing with Christian love is that it can stand up to these things because you can always admit that you're wrong. That we can always apologize and we can always move forward and embrace righteousness. It's, it's not about Getting along, that's the, not the most important thing. The most important thing for a Christian is to stand up for righteousness, for holiness, which is bound to have some fighting. But it's always in love. We always do it in love. For those of us who have siblings, is there anyone here that has never gotten a fight with their sibling? Like, I just want to meet you. I just 
I just want to see how you walk on water. Like, just how do you do these things? We, we always fight, right? You, you, if you have a sibling, you have fought. And in a healthy sibling relationship, even though you fight, you still love. Right? I, I fought with my sister, but I've never not loved her. I've always loved her no matter how bad the fight, no matter how bad the disagreement, no matter what the guy she was dating. I was like, what the heck? But, but no one is going to get me to turn on her and no one's going to get her to turn on me. We, we have each other's backs no matter what because I'm her brother. She's my sister. And that's that. Do we have that loyalty with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? We have disagreements, but yeah, but we, we still love each other. We're still siblings, and we disagree. But our Christian love weathers these storms. Through the conflict we, we, we may have with each other, that Christian love comes through the conflict as we live in light and we stay loyal to righteousness, to truth. And when we let each other down, we can say we're sorry. We don't have to avoid one another or practice passive aggressiveness towards one another. That, that we are brothers and sisters and we have each other's backs and we have the Bible to direct us into how we are to think. Not my opinion, not my emotions, but just simply going back to the word of God and saying like this is what it is. We can disagree with it, but we can't disagree with our love with each other and that this is what it's saying. Love deals with conflicts. It deals with disagreements and we, we recognize we offend each other and, and God as well. We offend God all the time and, and that we can always go to God to help us see clearly and to live in the light and ask for his guidance and to show us through his word. Going to God doesn't mean we, we feel like reconciling. It doesn't mean that we just say or do things and not mean them. But if it does mean that we're loyal to God. And regardless of how we feel about something, we, we will deal with things in love. We won't slander. We won't continue to spread rumors. We won't lie. We'll deal with things knowing we are weak people. And sometimes getting things right takes a while because we're so weak. So let's extend patience. Let's extend grace. Let's extend love. And we're doing something that is very, very, very difficult. In the church, actually, we're doing something that's very difficult. Have you ever just kind of sat back and thought about this as we meet here on a Sunday morning, that we're, we're building the church together in the Bay Area? This is, that's crazy. Right? If you just kind of sit back and think about it, the most de-churched, unchurched region in all of the United States. And we're here at 9.37 in the morning building the church. That you and I, we, we've set out to do something that is very, very challenging here. And we're going to offend each other along the way. Because we're messed up people trying to do something great, like building a church. Let's just be realistic about this. This is tough. 
especially in our weakness. And so we have to be that much more grace-filled towards one another in our weakness. Let's not be so defensive when people are pointing things out to us because we're, we're siblings. We'll offend each other, but then like we still love each other. And it boils down to really two options for us. We love each other and we live in the light or we hate each other and we stumble in the darkness. Christian love isn't about saying and doing the right things only. It's not about our feelings. Those are just components of the entire relationship with God as we stay grounded in the truth of God while we stay loyal to God and we honestly deal with one another in love by by letting our guard down and that we can reconcile with one another even after a fight because we are brothers and sisters. We're bound to miscommunicate. We're bound to misunderstand each other. But we can give each other the benefit of the doubt when we have the same loving family we come from. We're brothers and sisters. If there's anything we understand with Jesus Christ, we understand that there's always reconciliation, always restoration with God because he's our advocate. We know that that is always there. And if there's a brother or sister in Christ that you need to reconcile with, do it today. Do it today. Live in light 